Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. What's up, everybody? That's how the kids say hello on YouTube. I've been watching it a lot lately. How about just welcome back? And if this is your first episode, thanks for checking out my podcast. My sense of this audience is that there are a reasonable number of people who are new managers or certainly new marketers who might hope to be a manager at some point. And even if you are more senior, you'll find value in this episode. Yesterday, I had lunch with Jim Bro from Springer Nature Publishing because he was in San Francisco for the Photonics show. And Jim, along with his colleague Alan Avery, will actually be on the next episode of this podcast. But the topic of personal branding came up because he thinks it's really important. And I love the topic. would like to get more guests on this show to talk about aspects of that. Today is one of those because how you speak is definitely a big part of your personal brand. So let's get into it. Scott Stiefvater is a public speaking coach at Slomoff Consulting Group. What he can teach us about speaking applies every day in how we communicate with our teams, our friends, and our family. Scott, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Chris, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I have to tell my listeners, so we connected through the swimming community. If they listened to a couple episodes back, they know they've heard about the swimming community and my plans there around the documentary and so on. So I just thought I'd say this ties back into all of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is that the skill of speaking is a lot like the skill of swimming. And, and we can dive into that a little bit later in the podcast. Dive into. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> All right. Give me some context around the types of people you coach and what they're hoping to get out of your coaching. Yeah, sure. Well, look, every human being on this earth can use help with speaking. On average, we say a thousand sentences a day. So we speak a lot, and it is an essential skill in our life. Um, but most of us are completely unconscious and unaware of the skill, and we have no control. And so everybody can use some help. And that said, we work primarily with business leaders. They might be emerging leaders in a company, and they could span all the way up to senior leaders at the C-suite level. An emerging leader might be someone who in a life science company was hired as an individual contributor in marketing or, or in science. And they've worked hard and now they've been promoted to a leadership position. And they think, wow, I'm fantastic at marketing. I'm fantastic at science, but I'm not so good at this leadership communication thing. So often we'll get people like that that want to begin to build a foundation of skill so that they can be great communicators as leaders. Now, on the senior leader side of things, these are people that often give talks or have high stakes conversations that are essential to the success of the business. So they'll come to us and they'll say, look, I want to be fantastic at this talk. I want to, I'm going to a conference. I want to show up and be excellent. And so we'll work with them on their delivery or their content or whatever they need to show up and be the best that they can be. So you talk about um, or your company promotes what you call a brain-based approach. What does that mean and how is it different from other methodologies? Well, the vast majority of speaker coaches out there teach techniques. 
we focus on how the brain is designed to talk. Now, the difference is somebody in a technique-based approach will say something like, I want you to go make more eye contact, or I want you to pause more. The problem with that is it's limiting. It can get you to a point where, yeah, you, you improve, but there's still this sort of wooden and stilted aspect to your delivery. Our approach is let's understand the brain's design for talking and the listener's brain's design for hearing what we say and absorbing it. And once you understand those designs and you work in concert with those designs, you can be absolutely excellent. You can be in control, you can have more impact. So that's the main difference is we wanna understand how your brain's design works when you're talking so that you can work in concert from it, life gets easier. So our brains, as you mentioned, have evolved to, or I'm interpreting, to send and receive signals in a certain way. And yet errors creep into that system. What are some of those errors and why do they happen? Well, let's go back to how we learn how to talk. Okay. In the world, for instance, you and I have experience as swimmers and swimming is a skill, but it's a skill that we choose for ourselves. Well, I've chosen to be a swimmer. I chose to swim as a kid. I, I choose to swim as an adult, but we don't choose to talk. In a way, the skill of talking chooses us. The human brain becomes available to learn how to talk at about the age of one. And from that point, how do we learn how to talk? Well, we learn how to talk through mimicking and imitation. We mimic our parents at first. We imitate our relatives and the people around us in our home. And then at roughly the age of five, we enter educational systems. And in those educational systems, we tend to mimic and imitate our peer group, especially the one that we want to be popular with. Yeah. And that continues all the way through college. But when we get into the working world, if we're a little more ambitious, we might look around and say, well, oh, well, that person there is a fantastic speaker. I think I know what they're doing, and I think I can do my version of that. So by the time people come to us, they're essentially the sum of everything they've taught themselves about the skill of speaking through best guess imitation. And that's why there's a lot of errors in their speaking. There's errors in their speaking coordination system. And here are some examples. For instance, talking is centered around the unit of the sentence. And there are three common errors that happen when we're talking around the construction of the sentence. And the first is fragmenting. So it sounds something like this. When I got up this morning, I thought there would be, you know, a lot of traffic. Instead of getting on the freeway, I decided to, uh, well, like, take the train. So in both those sentences, I fragmented the sentences. And as I paused to locate more content, I used a filler sound or word. Another common error is rambling behavior. And in rambling behavior, it sounds something like this. So when I woke up this morning, I thought there'd be a lot of traffic, but I decided instead to take the train. And on the way to the train, I ran into more traffic. So in that case, you're just speaking in one long run-on sentence. 
So those are two examples of the kind of errors that people learn through mimicking and imitation. But the correct behavior is to speak in sentences. That's our brain's design. In fact, there are two phases to the act of talking. The first is going from a thought to a composed sentence. We think toward the back of our brain. And if you've ever tried to meditate, you'll recognize that it's very chaotic, our thinking. But at some point from all that chaos, we fire content down a neuron to a place on the upper left side of our brain that composes that idea into a sentence, first word to period. Once we have that, we get into the second phase of talking, which is that sentence is transferred to the motor cortex, which tells all the muscles involved in talking to talk. So our brain is designed to compose a sentence, first word to period, and then to say the sentence. The problem is people don't learn this. If, if the world was an ideal place about the age of seven, kids would learn this and they'd work on their speaking skill and their control of the sentence at a very early age. But like I said, we're unaware of the skill of speaking, so we adopt these kind of habits. I'm curious because you talk about composing sentences in your head and so on. How much does the fear of silence play into this? Because sometimes in a conversation, a long pause is uncomfortable. And if I have to think about what you are asking me and then create a response, somehow I want to begin immediately while the rest of it is hoping to catch up in my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of that is just habitual. You know, the people around us, we see that they're not comfortable with long pauses. But some of it's related to a nervous response. For instance, if we're in a high stakes conversation or we're standing on a stage talking to 500 people, our brain might decide that this is a big deal. And when it decides it's a big deal, we spill adrenaline and cortisol into our blood system, which creates a nervous reaction. And of course, that doesn't help us gain control. So we feel that, oh, you know, I'm on stage. There's all these eyes looking at me. And that often creates this nervous reaction. And we feel, oh, we have to talk. We have to fill the space. But what you begin to realize is that in many one-to-one -one conversations, when your mind isn't in this public speaking mode, you do pause. You pause for a long time. You might be having a conversation with a loved one. You might be having a conversation with a business colleague, but you do pause. The funny thing is that because the world has sort of been programmed to adopt this public speaking paradigm, we suddenly click into a different modality when we get in front of a group and all the rules seem to change. The truth is it's all a modification on the same skill. Talking is talking. Whether you're having a conversation with a loved one at home, whether you're having a conversation with a senior leader in your business, whether you're talking to your team or a client, or whether you're on stage talking to a thousand people, it's all a modification on the same skill. And what you have to learn how to do is, well, when I have a nervous reaction and my mind says talk, how do I gain control? What do I focus on? And that's what we help our clients figure out. We're going to come back to that. Okay. I'm Let's talk a little bit about what happens in the listener's mind when 
what you might call an error is detected, something that's unexpected on the listener's end, what does that do to the quality of the message? And I think this is really relevant for managers speaking to their teams and so on. Oh, absolutely. You know, speaking is a very interesting skill because there are two realities in the skill of speaking. The first reality is the inner world of the speaker. The second reality is the listener's experience of the speaker. And what's really interesting is that those two realities are separate and governed by different rules. So when I'm talking and I talk like this, your listeners, I want your listeners to picture in their mind maybe what their impression is of me, what I might look like if I speak like this. Well, gee, Chris, it's really great to be here today. I'm so so excited to be on this podcast. I think this is going to be a super fantastic experience for both of us. Your listeners' minds right now are going crazy. They've stopped focusing on my words and they've started focusing on the sound of my voice. Now, in the first reality, in my inner world as a speaker, I'm always gonna be concerned about words. Do I have the right words? Can I call up those words when I want to? But in the listener's experience, what you just experienced is that sound is more important than words. So I have to take that into account when I speak. If I don't take account for how my voice sounds, if I don't try to exert some control, then I can't control that second reality. I can't control the listener's experience of me. And that leads to this idea of executive presence. Executive presence is this magical diagnostic term that's thrown around the corporate world all the time. I might say to you, Chris, you know, you're lacking in executive presence. I need you to build your executive presence. You'd feel lousy about yourself. <laughs> but if I asked, do you know what it is? You'd go, nope, but apparently I'm lacking in it. <laughs> but executive presence is a perception in the second reality based on specific behaviors from the speaker. So if you have errors in the sound of your voice, if you have errors in sentences, if you fragment or you ramble, those all degrade that impression of presence and self-assured power in the listener's mind. So if you wanna show up and have a lot of executive presence, it means you have to speak in sentences. It's best to have a tone that is sort of in the middle of the male range or the female range, a baritone sound for men, an alto sound for women. And it's also important to be expressive because if you're not expressive, you have no power. Even your posture plays into how the second reality interprets your presence. All right. I'm curious now about when you talk about the tone you need. So clearly the example you gave was not your tone but it's somebody's tone. What do you do, for example, if you run into a male with the voice that you used in that example at the beginning? Right. So used- I'm pretty sure you're not going to steer him too far in another direction, but tell me what happens. No, that's a great, that's a great point. Speaking is a skill like swimming. I said this earlier. So as a coach, I have to know the physics of swimming, but I have to adapt it to the unique anatomy of the swimmer I'm coaching. It's the same thing in speaking. 
if you don't have that magical radio tone, that baritone sound of self-assured power, no big deal. <laughs> Use the voice you were given. You've been given an instrument at birth, you work with it. And can you make modifications on your voice if it's a high voice? Well, sure. You can, if you are aware of your vocal tone, you can intentionally start sentences on a slightly lower note so that you can stay closer to a baritone sound. But I don't want to get too prescriptive because it's not really about technique. It's about awareness and control. And if you get to a point that you're really good at speaking, that's a good time to say, well, you know what? I want to work on the sound of my voice. Whether you have that magical baritone sound or whether you have a really high, thin sound, you can always make modifications and improvements in service of the listener's mind. All right. That leads nicely into how do you coach people? What What is the coaching approach on all of these skills that help your clients become better public speakers or better leaders with more executive presence? Well, first of all, I have to point out that at that point, Chris, you were doing composing in the act of talking. It was an error in your speaking. Okay. <laughs> now, it's not to pick on you, but I want to make a point. No, please, please do. <laughs> I want to make a fantastic point. It's the most common error. I mentioned fragmenting and rambling, but the most common error is composing in the act of talking. And that's when we send a sentence fragment to our motor cortex and we bypass the part of the brain that composes a sentence first word to period. We say a fragment and then we slow down, our voice slows down as we locate the rest of the sentence that I want to say. Now, if I saw you, if you were in front of me, something interesting would happen. And that is your eyes would defocus in some way. They'd go up to the right or up to the left or down to the right or down to the left, or they just kind of get into a fixed gaze. Less common, you might blink. And some people even close their eyes when they're composing in the act of talking. Um, but these are common brain errors. And if you don't raise your awareness of how you talk, you fall into that trap quite often. Now, having said that, is it okay if I answer your question now? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So now you're coaching me. Give it to me. <laughs> okay. If I were to coach you, every skill can be broken down into three parts. The first part is the neurological coordination system for the skill. So you know this in swimming. When I am swimming freestyle, there's a stroke cycle. There's a coordination system to that stroke cycle. So if you came to me and said, I want to be faster in freestyle, would I just throw you into a race and then coach you from there? No, I would take you to the practice pool and I would assess your stroke cycle in freestyle. And then I'd coach you in perfecting that stroke cycle and having a solid coordination system. Well, the same thing is true in speaking. When I work with somebody, I'm going to give them control of the sentence and awareness in their brain's coordination system for the skill of speaking. because if you don't have mastery of the sentence, you can have all the great content in the world when you show up at a conference, but you can't be great. You can't be great. We call it the swing of speaking. That's another metaphor, like a golf swing or a tennis swing. If you're not good and powerful in the swing of speaking, you can't be great when you stand up and deliver that fantastic content. And that leads to the second part of a skill, which is the game of the skill. 
in swimming, it's a, it's a race. What do you do right before you race? Do you have a, a pre-race routine? And what's your strategy during the race? Do you go out fast? Do you come back hard? When we're speaking, there are fixed moments in time, a defined moment in time from when we're about to come out onto a stage to the moment we finish a talk where we demand excellence of ourselves. In the skill of speaking, the most relevant factor is content. Have you crafted riveting content for this audience? The third part of every skill is the inner world of the person trying to do the other two parts of the skill at the highest level. So I referred to this earlier, the inner world of the speaker. When we work with people, we're constantly asking them to explore their inner world. When we find they're doing something great, they've got fantastic control of the sentence. They are expressive. We'll say, that was fantastic. What were you doing on the inside? What were you doing on the outside, but what were you doing in your inner world? Study it, memorize it so that you can replicate it. So when we work with clients, we work in those three areas. We're always pulling them through those three areas. I really like that last one, of course, is what's going on in your inner world when you're successful and replicating that. Um, Scott, this has been very enlightening for me. I love all the swimming references. Thank you for that. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I, and I'm sure the listeners enjoyed it. Where can people go if they want to learn more about improving how they communicate? Well, they can go to slowmoffgroup.com to our website and just give us a call. Uh, we offer workshops, we offer private coaching sessions, and we do project-oriented work around event speaking. So if they have any curiosity, they can simply contact us through the website. Uh, my email is a great place to go to. It's just scott at slowmoff.com. That's S-L-O-M-O-F-F.com. And they can contact me there and I'd, I'd love to engage them and answer any questions they might have. All right. I will put both of those links uh, in the show notes for this episode. Scott Stiefvater, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. I found myself becoming very aware of how I speak when I was talking to Scott, even in our little pre-interview. I know there are some things I can improve on for sure. I can tell you that when I've spoken to him in person, there's a presence or a thoughtfulness that comes through without being in any way intimidating, just calm and confident. That would be a valuable asset when leading a team, I'm pretty sure. I'd love to know what you think. Let me know if you'd like more episodes on leadership, team building, personal branding. Send an email to me at chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com. Then, if you'd be so kind as to share the podcast with a couple of your colleagues, I'd really appreciate that. And I will be back in two weeks. Bye-bye.